So if you're an actor or a director or if you're a musician or if you're someone that is just trying to do something different, we all confront the same thing. And that's fear, right? Fear can paralyze us. Fear can change our lives, you know? And whatever we're setting out to try something new or if we have an idea that's different from the norm or if there isn't a um, predisposed path in which we're supposed to follow, uh, it's a really scary thing. Um, And that's what I want today's episode to be about. And uh, I really, at the end of the day, I think that the most fear that is felt in our industry uh, is by actors because uh, an actor has to put themselves out there completely. There's no hiding behind your work. There's no hiding behind the job you're doing. Uh, You're being judged on your face. You're being judged on your appearance. You're being judged on your lifestyle uh, and how the public perceives your lifestyle. You're being judged on your heritage. Um, And uh, it's got to be pretty paralyzing. Uh, I could never be an actor myself. Uh, I know I have nothing but the the greatest respect for actors uh, that I work with, uh, not only because I I need them on screen, I need them to actually physically embody these ideas and these characters, but um, I also need their human experiences. I need their instincts to create these characters and to make these stories seem more real, more relatable as I hear all the time out here. Um, And I thought that it would be really cool to go back and sort of tackle this again. I know we talked a bit about it in the first season, um, and this show I think is really going to go into it deep uh, with uh, my guest today, who (laughs) I sprung it on him last minute to do the podcast. We initially were just going to chat. We were initially just going to do a Skype call because... He's in New York, and now I'm now here in Los Angeles, um, and I sort of threw it on him <laughs> last minute, kind of making him nervous about the whole thing, but why not? That's my job, right? Uh, so my guest today is my good buddy, actor uh, Pavel Chateau. Uh, he was in 12 Cam, so if you guys have seen 12 Kilometers, uh, he played the sound technician um, in the piece. He's got a major role, uh, and he's perfect in the movie. He's one of my favorite people to work with. Uh, he has this beautiful level of detail and anxiety that really come off really great in the piece. Um, and so I'm excited to have him on the show. Um, uh, he is Russian. He does have a Russian accent, but you can completely understand what he's saying. So I'm very happy that he said Yes. <laughs> when I threw it on him last minute. And I think you guys are going to really love his story. His origin story is really fantastic. And he talks about growing up in Russia. Uh, and he talks about uh, the difference between American and Russian lifestyles. And um, it's really cool. So I'm happy that this is an episode. I'm happy that you guys are here to enjoy it. And as always, I want to just say that I appreciate all the support you guys have been giving me. Everybody has loved season two so far, and uh, there's many more great episodes coming out. And uh, if you want to support the show, then please follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or follow In Love With The Process Pod on Instagram as well. There you can leave me questions, comments, res- responses. Uh, do you like the episodes? Do you have some guests that you'd like to see on the episodes? Send me a note there. 
or comment underneath an image. And if you really enjoy what you're hearing, please steal my graphics. Any of the graphics, any of the videos I put up there, pull them down, repost them, tell your friends. This is my favorite fucking podcast. That's what I want from you guys. And, and you know what? If you're on iTunes or if you're on Apple Podcasts, take a second, take a heartbeat of a second and click on the description area and leave a review because they rank the show based upon that stuff. So the show will become higher in ranking, which means more people will listen to it. More people will be interested. So leave me a review. Please do that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm recording a bunch of episodes all at the same time. So I have no idea when this one's going to come out. Um, so I'm not going to talk about anything that's happening right now because I have a feeling this episode will come out weeks and weeks from now. Um, but let's just get right to it. I got nothing good to tell you other than the fact that me and Pavel get to sit around and talk nerdy about acting. Um, so you know the deal. Find that uh, comfortable place. Get those noise-canceling headphones on. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the new episode of In Love With The Process. Well, thanks for being on the show, dude. <laughs> I don't know why, but it, it sounds really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, for those of you listening, um, we were just supposed to have a phone conversation today, and I sprung it on uh, him last minute and said, let's just do a podcast. <laughs> exactly. How you doing, buddy? Well, I'm doing good. Doing good. I just finished my uh, P90X3. Do you know what that is? I have no idea. What are you talking about? I'm talking about a crazy 30 minutes workout. It's um, it's insane, and I have to do that every single day until I reach 10 pounds. Until I gain 10 pounds, because oh. my agent told me to do so. That's how crazy it is. Okay, so you're super skinny anyways. You've always been super skinny. So your agent is telling you that you have to gain 10 pounds? Yeah, it was a a crazy talk we had probably a couple weeks ago when I called her and I said, well, what's up? What's going on? Like, what's new? And then she said, everything is good. Everything looks promising. Uh, I just have to ask you one favor. And I said, yes. And she said, is it possible for you to gain, like, 10 pounds or so, and I was like, oh my God, is that for a project? And I was like, oh, I've never done that in my life, because I have this type, my body's very skinny, but uh, that would be a nice challenge. And she said, that would be very uh, beneficial, because every time I go for a role, it's kind of like this Russian uh, mafia or whatever, crazy, kind of like intimidating type. And she uh-huh. said, that would be very useful if you can gain a couple yeah, like a 10 pounds. And I said, yes, I'll take that challenge. And so I started eating a lot, changed my diet a little bit. My morning breakfast, it's crazy because it's a lot of quinoa and a lot of berries and seeds. And, and now it's workout. But dude, do you know what happened? <laughs> I thought it was going to be hard, but I start gaining weight 
it's true. Right now, I think I gained like six pounds, but it's mostly on my stomach. So you can see that my stomach start growing. <laughs> and, then, and then my wife, she's like, yeah, now you know what it, how it feels. I was like, I don't want to feel that way. But, you know, now I'm going to be working out to, to get rid of the stomach. Oh my God! It's the life of an actor, man. <laughs> I think I'm gonna come to my agent, just put that stomach on the floor, and then the people will say, "Here, I got you ten pounds." <laughs> like, done. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Let me let me catch the audience up uh, that's listening to the show. Uh, so Pavel and I, we know each other, and if you guys are uh, loyal fans of of my work, then you have seen uh, 12km. And you have seen uh, Pavel's amazing uh, performance in that uh, as the sound engineer. Um, and uh, we met on that film, and then we've been buddies ever since. We also did that Leica job together. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That you came up, cool. and you were in that Leica commercial that I directed. Um, uh, Pavel's a fantastic actor. Um, he's an actor out of New York City. Um, what was the, see, this is what happens when I don't do my research again. What was the, what was the TV show that you were on recently? What was the last uh, one? The last one, it was The Hunt. Mm-hmm. That's the TV show that is coming out. I, I believe it's the Amazon. And then what the, was the, you were on the Netflix, you were on a Netflix show, weren't you? Yeah, that was a Netflix. So I, I was in Orange is a New Black. Then I was yes. in Sweet Bitter. And then I was into uh, Mr. Robot, the last season, which is. Oh, no uh, shit. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know you were on Mr. Robot. That's pretty Mr. awesome. Mr. Robot, uh, yeah. I want to see it. I haven't seen it yet because it's not out there. But, uh, yeah. was, it a, was it a good part? Was it speaking lines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them were speaking parts. Uh, it was like a guest star, co-star, call it. Yeah, not not a huge one, but definitely present. Definitely. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, you deserve it. You're very talented, and I think um, as we talk about this show, what this episode will be, it's one thing I learned when I was doing 12 Cam, and I've talked about this before in the show, um, was that uh, when I started to cast Russian actors, I didn't. It didn't occur to me how stereotyped and typecast you guys are in just very specific roles. Um, and I think that's fascinating. That's a fascinating thing to talk about. Um, typecasting for, for acting and then whether or not you lean into that and whether or not that becomes something that you're taking advantage of or something that you're fighting. Um, is it frustrating for you to be constantly typecast as like the henchman or the fucking bad guy? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Russian? I think I think it's it's good. My tack right now is perfect. I mean, like generally, of course, I would like to break break through and have some kind of like a different part. I don't think that I can do only a Russian, even though I am a Russian accent, even though I have a funny story about Russian accents, uh, but. Most of the time when I, like right now, we are living in a political situation where my type is in demand. So that's perfect. Like being a Russian <laughs> right now is awesome because I have a lot of work. I remember there was a time when they had, they, there was an, in demand was a lot of um, uh, Arabic and all that Middle Eastern people. And then all of a sudden they switch into Russian. I was like, yes. And 
So in that sense, I'm very happy. My agent is very happy. And uh -huh. I, I think there will be more shows um, where they would need more Russians. And my type is perfect because I'm... Um, uh, oh, come on, help me out. Uh, hack hacker. So... Oh yeah, that. hacker. I'm a hacker. Yeah, types. So that's one of those. Uh, then it's a <laughs> bad guy and a, a good guy in the bad world. I call it. So it's a, kind of like everything is bad, but you try to be a good guy. But because you're Russian, you assumingly become a bad guy. And, well, that's because uh, you've got you, you've got like that. You have the ability to have a soft, innocent face, and then you yeah. also you have that accent. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that and then sense. also the scientist, the crazy scientist, or the scientist who's a very passionate. So that's that's the type I was playing in twelve kilometers. So all yeah, those types, true. they actually in demand right now, and being Russian is just helpful. So I can't complain. I'm I'm happy. I I bet there is people who are not Russians. They're like, God damn it. <laughs> I'm happy. So I'm one of those. It's like, yeah, please, all that political. Shit, it's bad, but it's helping my career. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the origins of your career. How'd you get into acting? I, I think we talked about this, but let's talk to the audience about it. Sure. Um, well, I was born and raised in West Siberia, which is a specific part of Russia. It's, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I've never in my life acted until I went to university. where So that was about like, when I was 18. Mm -hmm. I swear to God, I never went to even like a theater. The only thing I was exposed to probably TV, just because it wasn't a part of my life. I always wanted right. to be a soccer player, so that was that was my life. I played soccer, and that's it. But when I got into the university, uh, and it was the first time when I finished the high school, and I was like, man, I can I can be nobody knows me there, so I can be whoever I want to be. So I came over and I was like, yeah, okay. So, and my sister, she was in that, studying that university uh, a couple of years ahead of me. And she was mm -hmm. a part of this um, student uh, performing group, let's call it, because I have to translate. So I was like, hmm, interesting. Let me try to, to like join or whatever, to see what's going on. So she invited me over. So I came over and mm -hmm. I vividly remember I was sitting in the back row of this, uh, like a big lecture. I don't know how this, like a big audi auditorium, that's the word, yeah. the auditorium room. And I was sitting in the back uh, seat and I was watching. And so the, the main guy who was running the whole uh, club came over and she's like, okay, so we have a few new members, blah, 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 but let's, let's do a rehearsal. Rehearsal with the old people who were already members. And, and I remember those two guys stepped on stage or like whatever in the auditorium 40 and they switched into these two characters and they start doing a scene like some kind of funny it's supposed to be funny or whatever and in that moment i was fascinated with this switch right in, in front of my eyes and i was like hmm. i need to learn how to do that because it was amazing it captured my imagination whatever i believed in everything that we were doing so right after that, I came to that guy and I said, I would like to be part of it. And he said, because it's supposed to be funny, he said, well, do you write jokes? And I said, no, I don't, but uh, do you need it? And he said, yes. So go home, write 10 jokes and come over. 
So I came home, <laughs> I went home, I wrote 10 jokes, came back in the next, uh, next day and I said, here, here's my 10 jokes. And he looked at them and said, well, you know what, it's not funny, but I like that because you were the only one who did it, actually. He, he gave that assignment to everybody else, but you were the only one who actually wrote them. And he said, I like that. So keep, keep writing. It's only a matter of practice. And so I started doing that and I loved acting. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just loved to, to play different characters, to mm-hmm. be in different circumstances. And now I know this, all this vocabulary because I'm trained. But before that, I was just like, oh my God, it's amazing. Let me do that. And I started doing that obsessively since. So it actually uh, decreased my ability to study. <laughs> That's an interesting way to say it, but it definitely uh, put that I sacrificed uh, some knowledge, but I just love doing that. And then since I finished, uh, when I finished and graduated from the university, I joined the theater group mm-hmm. and played there. And then I moved to Moscow where I pursued a musician career because I also uh, wrote songs. I was like a songwriter. Mm-hmm. But then I very quickly realized it doesn't work. And then I said, okay, I'm tired of being um, kind of like always broken. And I decided I need to put my, my mind and my energy into finance. So I went to the Czech Republic and joined uh, just like a bank kind of a company, start working for them. And that was like in a couple of years. I quickly realized that even though I have money, I have zero satisfaction of my life. And I was like, what's going on with me? I'm so unsatisfied. I have this house, I have a car, I have a job, I have money, but I'm not happy. And that's where start creeping that kind of voice in the back of your head. I was Mm -hmm. like, what do you want? What do you want? And I'm like, I don't know what I want. What do you want? Like, I don't know what I want. And then one day I remember I like acting. Every time when there's acting, I really love it. And so I'm kind of a guy who, you know, if I want something, I'm going to get it. It's like one of those types. That I know it sounds very like arrogant, but it's true. So I'm sitting in the Czech Republic and I'm like, I want to be an actor. What's the best country in the world to be an actor in? And I was like, well, America. Uh, <laughs> Back then, zero, zero English, no English whatsoever. Not even like, because I was studying German in school and forget about it. I wasn't, wasn't good at it. Anyway. So I was like, okay, so I need to go to America, study English, get some experience, and then I will be the best actor in the world. Okay. <laughs> no, bi- no big deal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I got the plan. Mom, I got the plan. And then from that on, I just start, you know, a big deliver manifesting and the, you ask the universe and the universe gives you the signs. And all of a sudden, uh, I think like in a year, uh, through friends and so on, I was able to visit uh, America as a mm-hmm. tourist. And as soon as I came here, I loved it so much. So I stayed. I went to school to study English because... When I came to this country and they're like a border patrol the guy is like asking me, so what's the uh, purpose of your visit? And, mm-hmm. you know, like zero. I don't even understand what he was saying. So I was like, multi-passport. Remember that the, that, um, 
like a five element movie. Which oh, fifth same. element. Yeah. Multipass. <laughs> multipass. That, that was me. It was like multipass, multipass. And he looked at me. Okay, come over. You're not a danger. So that's how I got in. And I went to study English, studied for a couple years. And then as soon as I was able to read and understand and enunciate my thoughts, I went to acting school. Um, I used to live upstate in mm-hmm. Kingston. And um, from that on, I started reading books obsessively. Every, everything in English, so that's how I like fast start start progressing in English fast enough. And then one day uh, we were we were learning a part of the technique uh, using the book of uh, William Asper, and uh, so I was okay. like, hmm, I love this guy. So I learned from my teacher that that's the studio in New York City, and I was like, I would like to learn with this guy. And he said, well, it's kind of like a big studio. It's not easy to get in. And while he was saying that, I was already in New York City trying to get in. So I went <laughs> straight in and said, okay, I want to study with this guy. And they say, okay, well, it's, we like your so ambition, ambitious, but we have to write an essay why you want to be an actor. So I pretty much wrote whatever I just told you. Yeah. We had like, man, I really do want it. And they're like, wow. He did really moved from the Czech Republic to here to pursue acting. I was like, yeah. So that's how I got into Willem Esper's studio and studied for two years, Meisner Technique. And I haven't stopped since. It's- wow. Wow. You're just, <laughs> it, it, your origin story makes me look like a lazy piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Now I feel good. Um, well let's hold on let's take a let's pause here and let's go back because i'm fascinated because you look as an american and and when i was doing 12k i'm you know i had to try to figure out a little bit about russian and russian culture Mm -hmm. um but i was kind of weighing heavily into what most americans think which is like russians are evil and it's really crazy over there and it's kind of dark and you know Mm -hmm. communist and all that kind of stuff People are very unfriendly. That's that's a big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it like growing up in Russia as a kid? Because you've now lived in the U.S. Like, is it radically different than being in the U.S.? Or is it the same, but just different politics? Like, what was it like? It's, you know, it's so hard to, you know the feeling, but it's so hard to put it into words. That's why Mm -hmm. I figure that nobody actually nailed that down saying that oh that's that's what it is because it's it's literally feeling like i'll I'll give you an example i went i went back to russia like to west siberia which is extreme end of russia i mean like it's cold people like if you go to moscow right now you might notice like oh it's a full of tourists kind of like it's a nice city expensive but nice but if you go into those provincial parts of russia you start feeling the soul of it so <laughs> I went back to uh, West Siberia, and I remember I was like uh, riding in public transportation. So I was like, "Oh yes, I want to, I want to have that experience." So I'm sitting and I'm just observing everyone. And after a couple minutes, everybody start turning their head and look at me as if like I stole something from them, as if I'm like yeah. kind of, something wrong with me. You know, it's like that weird movie when the whole town just start turning. And looking at you and you're like shit it's creepy it's that kind of thing it's that's like, so it's like a it's like a body snatchers thing <laughs> it's just, just yeah exactly yeah yeah no it's just because i was very open 
very friendly because living in the U.S., that's that's how you grew up. That's what what happens. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. in the in the of course there are people who are not friendly, but in general, that's what you get used to. It you're like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like even like living in New York, it's a, it's a cool cool stuff. You're sitting in the subway and somebody says, like, oh, I like your shirt, and here you go. You just talk for five seconds and you feel good. In Russia, it's impossible. And like uh, because there is this deep deep unfriendliness and again some russians who are going to listen to this podcast and say well that's not true <laughs> well if you're in in moscow or like like sure you're probably more open but if you're in siberia you still feel that that thing people are very close and again as soon as you move beyond that like for instance if you come with me and we go to my parents right Mm-hmm. It's super friendly, and every you'll feel at home. You're like, oh my god, you guys are so friendly. You're like just very welcoming. But there's this this kind of like a, a barrier. So if they don't know you, you're outsider, and you're outsider right away because I was sitting smiling and just like with this open eyes looking at everyone. <laughs> it's like this is amazing, and they're like, yo, dude, something wrong with you? You don't trust yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. This That's crazy. the simplest way I can I can I can put it. It's it's it, it, but I if if I I can no oh, sorry I touched my microphone. If I have to choose between Russia and America, mm-hmm. I would choose both because I'm an actor and I need both. Because mm-hmm. like you know like it's it's a it's amazing feeling when you know exactly like you you're saying you, you know exactly both ends. You can be. That's what that it, I become more uh, versatile. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a big advantage, of course. Well, I always say to anybody that's in this business, whether you're a filmmaker or whether you're an actor, um, especially if you were born in the U.S., um, the U.S. has its own sort of repression, and I think the the repression that we get is it's capitalism. I think mm-hmm. the 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 early breeding. Uh, uh, the stuff that they dial into you as a kid is like, bye, 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 you know, like birthday. When are my gifts coming? When is my material things coming? And so we're generation on generation on that at this point. And so as you travel through this country, and I just drove cross country, as you know, just to get out here to Los Angeles, it's really hard to find, um, find, you know, the local way of life. You know, because because every exit that you get off on the highway, it has the same fucking. It has like uh, a McDonald's, or it has um, um, any of these chains that are yeah, yeah. every spot. And then they also have you know WalMarts that show up and sort of erase out all the local stuff. And then it, it's kind of sad as you go through the 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 middle of America because you see. Uh, the stuff that's been there for years and years just shutting down and like these towns becoming ghost towns because they don't have a, a reason for it. Uh, and then we all sort of dial into the same thing. And then this capitalism is sort of spreading itself all over the planet. You have like Netflix and everybody's sort of watching the same fucking programming and everybody's mm-hmm. being influenced by the same stuff. And the, and the world's really becoming a, a much smaller place now, which is interesting. And I find, I haven't been to Russia but I've been to uh, different parts of Europe and Italy and stuff. And even though there, the the reach of consumerism is in that area, they they still close off communities and they still hold, um, you know, tradition. And you get to actually experience life differently. And I think in um, Italy was one of the spots that I really saw it. 
in some of the smaller towns in Italy where people aren't always on their fucking phones. They're not jacked into the fucking internet. And then you stop doing so. And then you start to look around and see life a little differently. And you start to see like, well, holy shit, these people take a break in the middle of the day and they, you know, they eat and they don't work for a while and they just seem to be healthier. They seem to be happier. Um, so uh, that tirade basically is like, it, I think it's smart that you have both that. Yeah. Bes- besides the fact that you also have an understanding on how to learn a language and how to learn a language uh, in an older age, at an older age, and that has to be helpful. Um, and then, you know, being able to see two different sides of a performance, being able to see like, this is how I would, this is how someone in this country would handle it, but this is how someone in America would handle it. Um, yeah, yeah, I think exactly in the twelve kilometers. Uh, remember that was a few few notes that yep. uh, that they, they give, we we gave you some of the kind of like not advice, but like our views. Like, oh, that would be <laughs> that would be better if you do that. Just because. But I remember how you did it once. You said, "Well, listen, it's for Americans." <laughs> and that was funny. I was like, "Oh yeah, sure, that's actually true." Well, that's the funny part because you were talking about how in order to get into that class, you had to write jokes. And in my head, I'm just imagining what Russian jokes are. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I remember when we were doing 12 uh, you were you were trying to explain to me that, like, we don't get sarcasm. Like, Russians don't get sarcasm yeah, yeah, yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, so it must have been hysterical. I, I don't even I can't even imagine what a funny joke over there is. <laughs> Don't ask me to tell you or explain what it doesn't work. Every time I look like an idiot in the end, like da 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 da, isn't it funny? And everybody's like, okay, okay. We're alone. It's cold, and then everybody laughs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Isn't it funny? Um. So yeah, that's fascinating, man. So then. It's interesting to, to, to think of it that way because the typecasting that you get put in is actually good for you mm-hmm. because, yeah. because it gives you a, a, a leg above the rest and it gives you something that you can play with. Um, and I, you deal with this and Gene, who is also in 12K. I, oh, I, love, I love that man, dude. He's you should great. get him in a podcast. Please do it. I have it. I have it planned. I have a plan to do do on. it secretly, like you did today. Just call him, <laughs> say, "Hey, how are you doing?" By the way, yeah, and you got him. <laughs> He'd be like, "Mike, Michael," <laughs> he'd be very upset with me. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, I had a lot of fun. I mean, the the twelve km experience um, for me was a game changer um, as far as directing is concerned, as far as putting together a movie was concerned, because of doing a movie in a, in a language that I didn't speak. Um, and it really sort of changed how I handle the set and then how I interact with you guys. And you were really great because um, you were one of the actors that could speak both languages. So it really helped me out, especially when uh, when interacting with Ernst, because you spent a lot of time with him on screen. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a funny story. I don't know if I should tell that to the public, but I do have. <laughs> Why not tell the funny story? <laughs> I, I hope he's not going to listen to it. But uh, it was it was right right after we shot. I think we sh- uh, was that the last day or like one of the like one of the days. I hope it's not. Mm-hmm. I, I remember clearly. It wasn't the first one. It was like at the end. 
And uh, if you remember, I, I had to drive him because we were living together. And, and oh, right. Yeah, you guys were staying in the same place. Yeah, yeah. same place, different rooms, but same place. And uh, so we went there, and as we were driving, he's like, let's, let's uh, stop by the, the liquor store. And I was like, hmm, okay, let's, yeah, I guess, well, you're stressed, whatever. But uh, <laughs> I think it wasn't the last day because I was like, I need to prepare the next day. We're just going to shoot something. He's like, let's stop. Let, let, let's stop, like, get a little bit, just get a little cold. I was like, okay, let's do it. So he got um, uh, he got an alcohol. We it was like a little bottles, and we yeah. drink a little bit. Here, here we go Russian stereotypical stereotypical. <laughs> we drink yeah, a, a little, little bit, a little vodka in the parking lot. A little vodka, yeah, it's just kind of warm up. And uh, <laughs> it wasn't a big drive driver, so it was like close to our place where we were staying. Yeah. And then uh, we got home, took a shower, and then probably like in a half an hour, he called me. He's like, come over to my place. I was like, okay, uh-huh. sure. And, yeah. and he had a table set up already. There was a vodka. It was some kind of like a small little things to drink. And here we go. We sat down, we sat down and we started drinking and talking. And he's <laughs> a crazily, uh, man, he's actually worked with such a big, legends like a russian legends and he told me all this story how they were hanging out with people i used to i watched as i was a kid i used to watch them i was like oh my god those are like a you know marilyn brando for instance or like brett uh-huh. pitt's type and he was just a body with them like a body to like a hangout and i was like wow so we drank that night very heavily and so the next morning i was like wow that was crazy but then, well, that's that's the way he said. That's what we used to do. That's what we always do. You shoot a little bit and then you drink. It's like, wow, that's crazy. I think I'm more American in that sense because I don't like vodka. <laughs> I well, for, don't. Well, for those of you listening, Ernst played the professor in Twelve Cam, and he was amazing. It was a very lucky find. Uh, Ara, who was also in it, helped me with casting, and I've talked about this before, but uh, he helped me um, book him and. He is an amazing actor, and he's a fantastic actor that didn't speak English. Um, and so it was uh, difficult for me to convince him of uh, that I knew what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> which was a which was a thing. Um, but having him on set, he brought this level of uh, confidence. He brought this level of. Um, experience to the set and I think it affected the way you guys because you spent you did most of your scenes with him yeah yeah most of them were with him and uh, it's as an actor it's it's amazing to play uh, with a person who has that much experience it's just it's amazing yeah he was great he gives you so much so you're just like literally working off of him and it was interesting because he's he was primarily a stage actor I Mm -hmm. think yeah Mm -hmm. And uh, he adapted pretty well to the film thing pretty quick with us. Like he had all these like little great subtleties that I thought were great. And then the combo of you two was really great because you also were very focused on physicality of your character. And you were mm-hmm. concerned about like, should I chew on this pencil? And do like you needed these, these little things that uh, are really great little nuggets when you're filming because as you go through the edit room you're like oh i love the way he's playing with that or this is really interesting and um, yeah that's 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 what i love about acting you got into and then you just leave and it's happening and i'm a very tactile person in general so i think for the movies that's why uh in the stage 
mm, I feel like it's not as useful as uh, for the movies. So yeah. That's why yeah. I like movies more. Well, yeah, the difference, I mean, from a directorial standpoint, the difference between stage and movies. Stage, you actually have to bring in a big room to you without uh, any help. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So at that yeah, point, yeah. you're using larger-than-life physicality. You're projecting your voice because you're trying to pull in those people that are sitting in the back row. You're trying to totally. get them in closer to you. As opposed to when you're doing film stuff, film is very, like, it is the most intimate like I can, like I did in that movie, I can literally put on extreme macro lenses and go up your nose. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it is the most intimate that you can possibly be. And I think when you're in that game, it's about subtlety because people are already close to you and then they're just sort of examining your tics and they're examining yeah. uh, how you breathe and what, what, and trying to find something interesting just by looking at you, being forced to look at you. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that um, um, the great actors on film understand that. And you start going back and you look at like Steve McQueen and, and, and sort of the system that he set up. And then, you know, you have like the George Clooney's and the Brad Pitt's and even the Ryan Gosling's that all are kind of doing the Steve McQueen thing, which is like very, um, very simple, very subdued acting. And then really they're just into like, what do I do on screen to make myself... Uh, fascinating to look at, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I've I've always really liked that. I've always, you know, because being a guy that was trained as a silent filmmaker, and I, and even Kurosawa, and I love, you know, body language and how you can express an emotion through body language. You can express an emotion through action, as opposed to dialogue, where it's just like I feel real shitty today, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. I, mean, I get mm-hmm. it, I get it, you know what I mean? But how- yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, thank you so much. The last episode I've been listening, uh, your episode, and you talked about the Kurosawa and those seven samurais. That is, that was it. Uh-huh. And I uh-huh. went on YouTube and I found that scene, and it's fascinating. Exactly. Oh, you've like, never you've never I've, seen those. Oh well, dude, I probably saw some some stuff, but it was mostly in Russian, mm-hmm. which is a completely different experience. And like I said, I was never into acting that much. So I have to watch a lot of stuff which I have seen, but I've never experienced them in the way how I experience right now, especially known acting world and know a little bit of the process of making films. So there it is, the sound cue. And you know what that means? It's time for me to thank the men and women responsible for helping this show happen, for helping me finance the show. I'm not just talking about you guys, the listeners. I'm also talking about the sponsors. Um, And I try to pick sponsors that I use, that I like, that I respect, companies that I respect, um, products that I love. And I, more importantly, I try to tell you guys about stuff that I know that you will use and that you'll find interesting. Um, So just do me a favor. Uh, below each of the episodes, whether it's on inlovewiththeprocess.com or it's on whatever sort of streaming service you're using to listen to them, there are links. And these are trackable links. They're important that you go and just click through on them. And sometimes just the act of clicking through on them is more important than anything else. So just take a second right now, pick one of these links, and click on it. You can hear clicking going on in the background. This is exactly what I need you to do. Is just do that same thing. A little click, check the link, and you're good to go. All right. So maybe you want to check out the first guys. These guys have been around since the beginning of the show. 
They continuously support me. They help sponsor Who's There, which is huge. Like Who's There, the movie Who's There wouldn't have happened without these guys. And I'm talking about Puget Systems. So if you're an independent filmmaker, if you're an independent photographer, if you're a music producer and you're using that old computer system and it's just bogging down on you, it's running too slow, but like anybody else, you're like, look, I'm not making enough loot right now. I can't afford to go buy that top of the line Mac product that's coming out right now. It's ridiculous. Like those new Mac towers are starting baseline at like over six grand. For what you're getting, it's like, oh my God, you're killing me. I feel the same way. And I felt this way years ago. And that's why I went on a hunt because I knew that PCs are the new way to go. Uh, there was a period of time where you were not considered a professional unless you were cutting everything on an Apple. That's no longer the way. If you're doing the same thing I'm doing, which is Adobe stuff, and you're editing on Adobe, you're doing Photoshop on Adobe, even doing sound design on Adobe, that all runs on a PC now. So there's no excuses to be using whether or not you have to use a PC or a Mac. Go PC, it's cheaper, more affordable. You get more hardware for your buck, which is great. Um, and you can go out there and try to build it yourself, which I've done in the past, but if you've ever tried to do that, the hardest part about building your own PC is trying to figure out if the hardware is compatible with, it, with each other. That's the most difficult aspect. It's like, is this graphics card gonna work with this motherboard? And you just don't know until you start dropping them in the system and you have to diagnose it. This is how I found Puget Systems. Not only does Puget Systems build amazing PCs, like straight out of the box, you plug it in, you're ready to go. They have amazing customer support, customer service, like you're actually talking to a real person. Think about that. When's the last time you had a company that you were talking to a real person for customer support? That's huge. Um, and then it's upgradable, continuously upgradable. So I bought the system that I'm actually using today, I don't know, like four years ago, and it's still running strong. It's still running strong. So it's really, really cool. These guys are fantastic. And they make it super easy for you. If you go to PugetSystems.com, you can actually pick a baseline package based upon the software that you're gonna use or that you do use. So just choose your selection. Like if you're using Premiere, bam, hit your baseline. And what they love to do there is they love to talk to us, the customers, the creators. Um, so you can actually talk to them and say, hey, look, this is my budget. I'm trying to build something custom. What do you guys suggest? How can we make this work? Super awesome. I mean, you're talking to real people here, guys. So go check them out. Go to PugetSystems.com. Also on the show, uh, my good buddies over at Quasar Science. One of the coolest advancements in filmmaking recently with technology is LED lighting. And Quasar does some of the best LED units on the market. Uh, we're talking about bicolor tubes. We're talking about full rainbow spectrum tubes. Uh, these guys build uh, LED lights that have beautiful color range. They also run very cool, cold, meaning like they don't get hot, like the lights themselves don't get hot. So if you're using LEDs on a set, your set doesn't get like sweltering. This was huge like 10 years ago where you walk on a set, and there's a bunch of tungsten units and the room's like fucking 90 degrees. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And if you're a small producer, small DP, small photographer, and you're concerned about the fact that you drive around in a hatchback and you don't want to have a giant truck, you don't want to have a van to put this stuff together, uh, these tubes are super lightweight. They're very easy to, to move around. They take up a very small footprint and they don't require a lot of power, which is huge. A lot of this stuff runs on battery too. So just 
Take my word for it. If you're looking for a new light on the market, I've got a bunch of tubes from these guys. I've got a bunch of two foot, maybe a four foot tube from them. Um, any color in the rainbow, fucking rad, right? These things are programmable, so you can actually do like color chases and all sorts of different stuff with them. You need to recreate the look of like police lights. You wanna do some strobing, rad stuff. And they're everywhere. If you're one of the professional lighting guys that are listening to the show, you're shaking your head going, yes, I know Quasar. They're on every one of the trucks. Yeah, this is high-end shit, guys, and they're not that expensive. So go check them out, quasarscience.com. Okay, let's get into the copy read stuff. This is my favorite shit because I don't have to make it up. (laughs) All right, so returning to the show are the good people over at Musicbed. Um, If you are an editor like I am um, and uh, you're trying to put together a commercial, you're trying to put together a film, and one of the hardest parts about cutting stuff, especially if you're doing horror, is you're trying to cut sequences without music and they're just not fucking scary. Or you're trying to put together a commercial without music and the clients just can't seem to wrap their heads around it. And at half the time, these clients don't want to pay a composer, which is kind of crappy, by the way, guys. But I understand how the game works. I understand how the system works. And why not go with a company that actually works with real composers, real artists, um, and they have such a huge catalog of them. Uh, and this is Musicbed, so let, let's, let me get to their copy here. Uh, it sucks to get bogged down in the edit process while you try to track down a soundtrack for your film, commercial, or whatever it is. Uh, I, myself, have been there. Uh, and so is the team for Musicbed. In fact, that's the entire reason why they built their platform. They've made it easier for you than, they've made it easier than ever for you to find the song that you're looking for with intuitive, easy to use browse and search amazing indie artists, bands, and incredible composers like Ryan Taubert and Chad Larson. Their roster is growing every day with tens and thousands of songs ranging from cinematic and electronic to indie rock and hip hop. Uh, And with their single song licenses or subscriptions that give you unlimited downloads, there's something for every type of filmmaker. To create your free account and learn more, go to musicbed.com. Plus, here's the cool thing. As an In Love With The Process listener, they're giving you one month of subscription for free or 20% off a single song license. Pretty cool, right? Just enter the program, just enter the promo code, the process when you check out. So like I said, go to musicbed.com and enter the promo code, the process when you check out to get that 20% off or a month subscription for free. Can you tell that I had about five hours worth of sleep last night, guys? Mm, so good, trying to get my words out of this mouth. It doesn't move fast enough. All right. Oh, super happy to have these guys returning. Uh, my call sheet. So this read is specifically for producers, indie producers, photographers, hell, anybody who has to put together a shoot, bring together a crew. And you all know the hardest part about that is call sheets keeping track of call sheets and trying to update call sheets, right? Because if you fuck up your call sheet, then the next thing you know, your talent is late, uh, your lighting truck went to the wrong address. It is the worst. Uh, Last time you traveled for work, were you losing time by searching your emails multiple times? Uh, Trying to find the details like booking code, hotel reservation, call time, locations, etc. We know how hard it is to be organized, and that's why you have to try my call sheet. Go to mycallsheet.com, create a profile, share a call sheet, and get it together. 
Okay, so I'm gonna break from the read here and just let you guys know. It's a super cool app slash program um, that organizes call sheets. So if everybody's logged into this thing, all the updates are seen. It's very simple, very easy to use. Uh, it's created um, the owner of the company. She's a model. She's been on sets before, so she knows the deal. She knows the frustration. So she's been trying to tailor this thing to work specifically for us. So like I said, go to mycallsheet.com and create a profile and check it out. Um, and she's also got a really cool promo thing here. Uh, what they want to do is they want you to get in touch with them. So we want to collect one-on-one uh, -on -one feedback uh, and see what you like about my call sheet. Uh, that way they can improve it. So it's early in the process for this thing. So they're looking for your feedback. It'll be free for anybody who's giving feedback for that feedback period. And they'll also get a changing tent as a thank you. Fascinating. Uh, this is a limited offer for three production companies. Um, so you can write to info at mycallsheet.com if you want to give feedback, if you want to be in that feedback period of time. Uh, and like I said, you can get a changing tent. And I think I'll put all the links below in the description. Um, super cool company. Very happy to have them on the show and definitely check them out. And while you're at it, don't forget, uh, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. Brand new website, all new stuff. That's where I'm curating the episodes. So I know now that we're getting past 50 episodes, it's a little daunting as you sort of scroll through that list on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you're like, where the fuck do I start? Do I start at number one? What I've done on the website is I'm curating them based upon subject material. So if you want to listen to podcasts with directors as the guest, or if you want to listen to podcasts with artists as the guest, it's very simple, very easy to navigate. Um, and it is the best place to check out all the supplemental material that goes with it. Sometimes I'll post uh, clips, like I'll put a bunch of stuff from Pavel from this episode up there. Uh, it's a great new website. I'm super happy that I finished it. I fucking did it all on my own. I'm not going to tell you who I did it with because they should fucking sponsor me first. So how about that? Um, but go check it out. Inlovewiththeprocess.com. And also, while you're at it, continue to support us. You can write feedback. You can do everything through Instagram. That's at Mike Petchy on Instagram or at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. Uh, there, there's a bunch of cool stuff that I'm giving away. That's the only place that you can see any of my movies. So go check it out. All right. Ranting and Raving is finished. Back to the show. Oh, dude, you should go and watch. They have... I think there's a streaming channel for Criterion now. So for the Criterion, you, you know what Criterion DVDs are? Or, yeah. or Blu-rays? Okay, so I'm going to fuck this up as I, as I try to explain it. But uh, Criterion is like the, the best of the best. So it's, it's a curated, uh, now it's Blu-ray, but it's a curated DVD series uh, where they go back through the classics and they, they make the ultimate Blu-rays. And they basically restore these old movies um, and then on the, if you get the Blu-rays, which I have, and they still make them, it's, it's really the, if you're in, if you're trying to learn about acting, if you're trying to learn about filmmaking, you have to go to Criterion's because the extra content that's on them is just outstanding. Dude, um, I'm going to write it down right now. Look up Criterion's and they now have a streaming channel. And I, I know that they have it for like the Roku player. 
I'm sure they have it for, uh, I don't know if you have Apple TV, those guys like to clamp down on everything. Maybe it's on there, but uh, look up the channel. And then the cool thing about Criterion is that they have the most of the catalog from Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. So they'll have The Seven Samurai. They'll have all the sequels that came off of that, like Yojimbo. Um, and then they have uh, really great other movies from his catalog. So Kurosawa is kind of like the Japanese uh, Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's the same sort of career path where Hitchcock was working for a studio and he was just banging them out. You know, he was he was working on his craft and, and, and really developing his stuff. And the same thing with Kurosawa. I think Kurosawa, I think he was with Toho for most of it. Um, mm. But if you go back and watch his shit, so the Samurai movies, amazing. But there's other movies. There's a movie called High and Low, which is a, a movie about a kidnapping that's astounding. Um, he has, um, I'm going to f- forget the name of it. There's another one that's really great about a guy who's diagnosed with cancer and how he lives out the last few months of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, his stuff is beautiful. And what Kurosawa does really well, which I've talked about in the other show, uh, is blocking. And he also allows his characters, his actors, to create a physicality which they reuse. So like, if you watch the samurai movies, one of the characters may have like a limp or like a, like a strut that he does. Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of, by modern acting skills, you'd look at it and go, it's kind of over the top. But then as you sort of go in, get into his world that he's building, you appreciate it. Because then when he does these epic scopes of like hundreds of people, you see this guy strutting through hundreds of people and immediately it's like, where's Waldo at that point? It's like, mm-hmm. Damn, mm-hmm. there he is. There's the character. Um, you should definitely, you'll love the shit out of that, man. Oh, you should man. definitely dig deep into the Criterion stuff and look up old Kurosawa movies. Um, definitely and guess, will, yeah. And uh, th- I'm not sponsored by them, but I would be more than happy to plug them because I think that they're very important. It's an important thing. To have out there because they're one of the few uh, groups that are still curating and advertising the classics. And this, these are the films that help write the language of cinema. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and for those of you listening at home, you hear this term a lot, the language of cinema. It's like, well, what the fuck does that mean? It's, it's down to the simplest, simplest things. Like if you use a 85 millimeter lens, which softens the background then we automatically are internal with the character. We're automatically in his world. And the reason why that exists is because earlier in the career of cinema, someone used it for that reason. And then someone else was inspired by that and used it for that reason after that, and then after that. And then what does a push like a dolly in mean? And what does that, what does that translate to emotionally? And then that gets logged into the language of cinema. So... And it, it, it's with everything, sound cues, uh, acting, um, over the shoulder shots and high angles and low angles. Like these are all the, the, uh, the origins of the language of cinema, which if, if you're not a piece of shit today, you're still using that. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, uh, you need to know that like, even if you not, Oh, filmmaker, you need to know all these things, like as an yeah. actor, especially because knowing that language, knowing how it looks on a camera. Because I've never, I've never been on the other side. I've never filmed anything, but my mm-hmm. wife, she is a filmmaker, and as I start, uh, kind of like 
seeing the process, what's going on behind. You're like learning so much. Like, oh my god! Okay, the next one. That's that's how it looked. So I have to. It's better if I do this, so it will be easier for the person to edit or whatever. So it's it's very important. That's why I like have a stack of books that I'm reading. About it. filmmaking, <laughs> filmmaking as well, dude. I start reading. Sorry, going back to acting. I I read so many books on acting, but this one book that I start reading, and it's a Stanislavski original language. It's in Russian. So going back, I was I dropped Russian. I never like when I came to this country because I said, oh, I need English, blah blah blah. So I stopped reading anything in Russian, and then. Relatively recently, somebody told me, "Like, dude, you can read that in Russian. It's amazing." And I start doing that, and it's genius. I can't even believe that guy was living so long ago, and he knows that much about acting. Uh, totally, totally. I talked to Gene about him a bunch because Gene basically comes from that school of acting. Mm-hmm. That, how do you pronounce the name? Stanislavski. Stanis- Stanislavski. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, um, so what is? Can you explain the the principle of acting that he teaches? Ooh, the principle of acting that Stanislavski teaches, I probably don't know, just because I'm still reading a book. But I can tell you what Meisner teaches. Uh, and again, well, I'm not a teacher; I'm an actor. So that's so the, the Meisner pretty much found a way how to teach how to be truthfully under imaginary circumstances. So that's the ultimate Mm. phrase that they they use. But how would you teach that a person, right? So you need to kind of like find a technique, find find a way to teach. So the Meisner uh, developed, he was a musician, he was a pianist. Mm -hmm. And so he developed this repetition uh, through which you kind of like strip yourself from any kind of thinking, and you try to um, try to develop the impulse, kind of like just if you feel it, you just say it. You just and so the repetition pretty much goes. You just use one word. I would say, "Oh, you have a nice beard," right? And you would use that phrase to express how you feel in that moment when I said it to you. And you would say, "Whatever, you have a nice beard." Mm-hmm. So say you have a nice beard, but with whatever you feel. And it goes back and forth, goes back and forth until you train your instrument to just be spontaneous, open, and just as soon as you get that impulse, you just just get it right away. And Stanislavski did a huge thing in his, uh, in his acting. He's acting before Stanislavski. And again, people who probably study are going to say, what the fuck he's talking about? But that's how I understood it. Uh, that study, before Stanislavski, it was this kind of like a indicating of acting. On a stage, people standing and they, they did a certain poses, which, which, which meant like, oh, that's the love, pose for love, or that's the uh, movement for anger. And everybody was watching. It's like, oh, that's fun. And all of a sudden, Stanislavski realized that Acting is more than that. It's it's human nature, and there is feelings, and there is many many other way to express ourselves, and it's much much deeper in dimensional world. And he starts exactly incorporating from the beginning. Everybody's like, "Wow, that's definitely different world on a stage." 
And so it's just fascinating that he was able he was able to talk about what he's talking in the book. And it's it's hard for me to kind of like pull but for instance, oh my god, I'm all over the place. For instance, there's like ten books right on acting where I would read something and I was like, Oh, that's about that. And then I would read something else in a different book. And it says, well, it's about this connection or about this uh, feeling and relaxes your body. All these kind of like little things you learn from different, like 20 different books. And then now I'm reading only one book of Stanislavski. And he talks exactly about it by chapter by chapter. And you're like, wow. So he knew that. He wrote it down so deeply. So like, so he's the, yeah, he's probably the the originator of that, right? Of He's definitely books. originator. Yeah. 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 Cause these other books probably came after, after he wrote that, right? Those, those other books that you're reading. Yeah. Well, in my world, those books came first. So I was like, yeah, Oh my right, God, right. that's amazing. And then you're like, right, oh, right. it was already right. invented. So well, it's so it's a fascinating thing because, you know, when you look at acting in general, I don't think a lot of people actually think about what it takes to a convince yourself to do it. B, uh, um, learn how to do certain things to convey certain emotions and get a elicit response out of people, and then C, do that in front of a bunch of fucking strangers, and then D, get judged upon that, and then it just continues and continues. So, um, totally. I would I would think uh, that the first time you, even if you came at it from like the most innocent place possible let's say you're a child actor and you have absolutely zero fucking training but you just like to play you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and so then you uh you do a performance and someone captures that performance and it gets put on screen and then people watch that performance on screen uh i think this happens a lot with reality tv folks you find somebody very raw you film them you capture them and then they see themselves so then they see themselves on television and then they start to see how other people react to them, positive or negative, and then that goes in your fucking brain. And so then when you oftentimes, it's something when you're doing documentaries or if, you, if you're working with folks that aren't trained, uh, then when you go back to that well and you go back to filming them, they now have all this stuff in their head like, oh, I don't like the way I looked from the right-hand side when I was doing this or I don't like this. And it seems like for a professional actor, you guys are trying to come up with techniques and skills to just flush all that shit out. Yeah, totally. So, totally. so, so that way you are as uh, much of a blank canvas as you need to be. And then it's about doing the study. It's about doing the examination on who this character is. And uh, I've heard that a lot of people, I don't know if you do the same thing, but I've heard a lot of people do research ahead of time they just do a lot of hard research on a character and uh and then they try to throw it all away and then just live in the world with that knowledge yeah 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 yeah. they're subconscious you know it's it's an interesting way how you said it because that's exactly it's it is a process but there is a reason why you do that and there is a if like for instance you're not an actor it seems a little illogical if you do all that research and then you just take it and just throw it away what's the point of it but there is a whole point. Exactly. You, I do. Re- I mean, everybody does research. If you want, if you want to be a great actor, because that's what you reconstructing your world around. Mm-hmm. I, you need to feel 
very comfortable in the moment when they say action or you want to be comfortable in the moment where you're in the stage you're in it and for that i need to fill it up my entire world i'm i need to say if i'm sitting in the desk and, and i don't know if you noticed that in the 12 kilometers that was my big thing i came over to the stay uh, to the set and the first thing i did i when i had a chance i went to those all these little things and i start playing with them Mm-hmm. Because that's my life as a character. That character lives around them, and he knows every single detail. Yuri Hagen talks exactly about that. That's the thing where you, in a, in a stage or in a set, you sit around and you look around and you internalize every single object because that's your that's your life. When say action or like they say the, the play started. This is your little things to bring your focus of the character in that moment. And if you all of a sudden look at that pen, which was on that table and you didn't do your homework, that pen will be outside of your world. And you'll be like, oh, that's the pen. I, I forgot to put it up. And all of a sudden, you're outside of the imaginary world. It's very easy to get out of the imaginary world. That's why you need that focus. And the focus, the, that being in the moment, only gives you if you did all this homework where you right. the yeah, what's the world you're living? If there is any kind of impediment, if, what, do, what are you wearing? How are you feeling? And then at the end, when they say, okay, tomorrow I'm shooting or we are shooting right now, it's all mental work. So, and acting is not mental, it's the feeling. So, at the moment when you say action, I have to trust my instrument that all that homework, physical homework, mental homework I've done, is going to be there. And my physical body will react in a certain way. I don't have to think about it. And only then you become fluid and then you can listen, which is a huge and important part in acting. If you don't listen, then you're just sitting there and waiting to say your lines, which is not acting at all. You need to live truthfully under imaginary circumstances. So homework is huge. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And when we did the casting session, you were very much a physical... You, I remember you were you were like, uh, what is the board like? And you were actually acting out in the casting session, like turning dials, and you, you were very very hands on. And I was, uh, I remember t- saying to my props team um, when we were planning it that you could use these things. And so we ended up uh, really texturing out that space and putting a lot of stuff in that space for you. Um, because uh, I knew dude, that you sorry you, you, even you, when you start talking about it, it gives me goosebumps because I remember <laughs> it like what like all of those machines worked yeah like yeah, that, that was crazy because I was like you turn them on and then I start figuring out like oh my god there's different waves and like oh I'm just a kid dude you put me in that room and I'll be sitting the whole day and just playing with those little things and man, that's why I love acting it was well it was I mean that's that's why I liked practical filmmaking I think there's something I want to say it's very selfish on my part because it takes so fucking long to make any of these things. It takes years and years and years to do it. And so the idea of just being on a stage that's all green screen, the idea of being on a space that doesn't really exist, uh, A, it makes it difficult for you guys, but selfishly as somebody that wants to live in the world of this, 
I want to build sets. I want to be in environments that I can walk around in and just be a nerd in and just actually walk around and go, it's really cool. I'm in this world. Like we're mm-hmm. building this world. And I think with filmmaking and maybe if you built theme parks, it would be the same kind of thing. But uh, with filmmaking, you can actually imagine a world and then <laughs> take yeah. a bunch of really talented people that cost a lot of money and uh, have them build it for you. And yeah. and it really shows when you, especially when we were there working in that space, uh, it helped that that place was filthy. It helped that it was a real, it was a real location that we had turned into sets. Um, it really made it fun to exist in. Even when you call cut, the haze is still in the room. The smoke mm-hmm. machines are still running. You're walking around in this world and it, it, it helps you guys, and then it also really helps the crew because the crew stays in this world, and they find mm-hmm. like a little a little dark corner. And it, it, I don't know if you feel the same way, but when you come off sets like that, and you go back out into the real world, it's like you literally walk out of one. It's like you're going through like a dimensional porthole. <laughs> totally, no, totally, totally. You know, and like, you want to go back, and that's the beauty of it because no matter how difficult scene. Uh, was in that in that day you still want to go back because it was it was fascinating it was you felt it you you was you were there and yeah yeah in the sets like that it's just it's amazing it's a blessing as an actor to be i love it man i love it too it's weird it's almost like it's like going on a, a weird trip somewhere so like i each of those sets like whether it was the office set um where ara and um the professor argue that had its own vibe. And then the, the sound altar that you guys were at that those couple of days had its own. I still remember what it smells like. I still remember what it, like the air tasted like there. And then the basement stuff that I did with aura was it's a really creepy, dark vibe. And the way that, you know, crude lights, the sets, it's minimal lights. So it's not, it's not overlit. And so you're in that world which is super fucking cool. Imagine if, like, that would be my dream to be in a TV show which Mm -hmm. is, like, running for, I don't know, like, 10 years and you're constantly going back to that kind of world and you're living there. You're, like, for 10 years. Well, that's that's the life. And then you come out of it. If you, like, it's in the space and then you come out, it's like, wow, what just happened to me? Ten yeah. years down in a different world. <laughs> I need well, a, I need a, what's the, whatever. I need a rehab, not rehab. What's you need the, to, what are you trying to say? You need to like readjust back into the readjust. real Readjust, yeah, yeah, yeah. When the yeah. people, when, ah, oh, fuck this shit. Okay, so let's move on. <laughs> I don't remember that word. <laughs> That's what happened to me. I just like, eh. Just, you don't know the word. Don't worry about it. I yeah. was I was born into the English language, and I still have a very terrible grasp on what words to use. <laughs> um, so, so okay, great. So then, let's get back into um, twelve acting. Well, now, now we can move from twelve cam. Let's get back into acting. And I think, um, so you 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 learn how to do it. You find that you fall in love with acting, and then. Uh, I'm sure everything changes when you start to try to make money on acting, right? Like, does that does that change the whole thing for you? Well, see, like, I have this crazy 
mindset or mantra in my life that money and many people disagree with me but i i believe that money is a result of a good work so to begin with i was always concentrated on good work and knowing that even if it's not going to pay me right now it will pay me in the long run or like it will pay me somehow maybe it will be a relationship maybe it will be something but i didn't really concentrate on money and i still believe that uh, the good work is much more important than money is just going to follow some people right. will take advantage of it and some people say like oh yeah let's use you like you you don't take much money so let, let me do that and then you're like sure sure it's a good project and then you realize that it fuck people don't really follow that thing they were just using it. well then yeah. i learned something but uh i remember well i started because i didn't have any experience in in movie uh the film acting i started as a background actor because that mm-hmm. was the very easy way to get in. And I don't know, some people saying it's very hard. It's not that hard, actually. There is a, in New York, there's a few agencies that you go, they take your picture, and here you go. Next thing, they're going to call you, or you're going to submit yourself, and you're in the expert. Right, if you, have a, if you have a decent look, if you're reliable, if you're not, you know, well, if you're not an that's asshole. that's for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah. You, have to be, you have to be on top of the game. You really want it. And... Um, then I started doing that. I was I remember oh my god, one of my first movies were like an amazing Spider-Man two or something like that. And oh, I was shit. Yeah, dude. And I was living upstate back then. So and the call call in was like five AM in the morning. And mm-hmm. I was like, Okay, cool. So of course I didn't know anybody in the city back then. So I was like, I need to be in the city at five AM. There's no buses. That goes that early. So I took a latest bus the day before, which was like around 11 o'clock. So I got to this city at 12, like 1230 or so. And mm-hmm. then I was like, I'm just going to walk around and just like, you know, dude, I felt like a hobo because I was sleeping. <laughs> I was sleeping in the bench. It was, it was pretty cold, but not, it wasn't winter. It was like kind of fall. Because I remember I was like sitting and drinking coffee, like, okay, so 15 minutes passed. And you're like, okay, so five more hours to go. And then I sit a little bit more and then I start falling asleep. And I fall asleep and I woke up shaking. It was just, I literally was on the bench at the Central Park, not inside the Central Park, but outside. Uh-huh. And I was shaking. It was the first time in my life I couldn't stop shaking. I was like, what, what is this? And I, ju- I just got cold. To the point that my bones start shaking, and I realized, Jesus, I can get sick. So I went back, had some coffee, walked a lot, <laughs> and then I came to this set like around four thirty. Uh-huh. Two start coming out, and I was hammered. I sat down in the workplace. I just <laughs> fall asleep. I was just, and then that was the time when I decided, okay, I can't function. So it's like. Just outside of the, my body, I couldn't function anything. So I went and I got some, um, like a Red Bull. It was uh-huh. like one of my first time in life, because I, I knew it's a bad stuff, don't drink it. So I was like, I'm not going to drink it. But I couldn't. It was like, I drank one or two of those and <laughs> shot through the day. It was like, it, could, it, was, it was an interesting feeling because you're like pumped with energy. Your brain is like, you're almost like in cocaine. And I was yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And, 
we shot that film. It was an incredible experience. Because like, I noticed some people who are background, they're just standing there and just like, you know, doing nothing, for instance, to say, okay, just run. And they're running and going back. I was just fascinated with every details they were working, the crew that they were doing. I was just like observing. For me, that was a free school. So yeah. I was like, oh, it's, it's amazing. So I've done that. And then I start doing some other like big productions, but I don't remember which, uh, what's the name of it. But anyway, so that was my school from the, from the beginning. And then yeah, doing the background stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Background essential because you can see in a big scale how actors collaborate, what they're doing, what the camera, you know, the, you start learning the language as well. And it's yeah. very important. Like the set, set, set etiquette. Is totally. important. Yeah, totally. you start figuring that out. And then you, you know, your story there, you start to figure out how to uh how to wait around. <laughs> yeah. Because most most of filmmaking is just waiting around. Um I have a lot of people that are like, I'd love to come to set, I'd love to come hang out. And I I like to have people around that aren't from the business, but I always warn them when they come. I'm like, it's fucking boring. Mm-hmm. It's it is a lot of sitting around. And if you're not in the front line, if you're not in front of the camera, and if you're not in that stress of getting the shot, um, you're yeah, just... Yeah, time goes slow down. <laughs> way slow down. Yeah. yeah, and you're talking like 15-hour days, 12-hour days, freezing your ass off on a bench like a homeless guy. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but... but that's funny, man. I, so, actually, I actually want to share with you something. Have you sure. seen the movie Joker? Yes. Did you like it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you, did you like it? Oh, man. I liked it, and I was on set. That was another background gig that oh, all of a sudden. Oh, no shit. Imagine this. Yeah. And I was like, hmm. They didn't call it Joker. I forgot mm-hmm. like, calling something else. And uh, I don't do background on the TV shows because that's that's my bread. If I right. see that the policy is if you're a background on the show, you cannot be cast as a guest star or a co-star show. So I, I'm avoiding every TV show that I potentially yeah. could be. But with the films like that, I'm already not, I'm not cast on it. So I'm like, oh, I can be part of it. So I didn't know what I signed for. Uh-huh. And I came over and I was like, oh, Phoenix. Okay, cool. Oh, Robert De Niro. Cool. And I was <laughs> lucky enough, I was a part of uh, that um they call it a TV show crew. Well, the people who haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's whoa, a TV. Whoa, whoa. All right, all right. So we'll just say this right now. If if you haven't seen Joker, fast forward a little bit because <laughs> I want to know the details. So what? So you were on the set, the TV crew set for the, yeah. like the late night show? Yeah, exactly. So but I, was, uh, I was the guy who was like holding the uh, audience. I was like a sound guy, like walking around, like, you know, on a set. So I was very close to whatever happened there. And, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to tell you everything since you well, well, were okay, everybody. Yeah. Uh, but before, did, did you get screen time? Were you in the movie? Uh, unfortunately, I had a really good scene with people. Like, they were walking, passing me, and it was some reaction shots, but they caught it all. So the only uh. one thing you can see me... If you stop and I'll tell you, like, see that in the corner and you're like, oh, that's true. That's you. And I'm like, that's me. <laughs> that's, okay, okay. Yeah. So All right. no, All right. no much screen. Time. All right. So what are, the, what are the stories? Tell me. Tell me. So one day we're coming over. That was like a good three, four days of shooting. So mm-hmm. it was a pretty cool. 
So yeah. we came over. They're like, okay, if you come over and tell that you are part of the crew, like, sure. So I got my costume. Everything is great. So we're shooting. Uh, there is a huge uh, background presence, which I am part of it as well, but I'm like a special background because I'm a part of the crew. And then, uh, so we have a scene, we're doing a scene when the Joker came over in the, on the set and start talking and giving this whatever interaction. And then at some point, they tell everyone, okay, everybody just leave. So everybody left the set except De Niro, Joaquin, the camera, like people, and a few of us. Can you imagine what the privilege? Like nobody knows oh, what's going to wow. happen. A few of us stay there and they told us, okay, you cannot share this with anyone because it's a crucial part of the movie. And they, and they uh, put the tape on our phones so nobody can use the phone. They were pretty strict on it. Yeah. And I was like, sure. So I'm like, I'm not going to tell anyone. I was curious. So I saw him doing a few takes on that major thing. I don't oh, spoil that exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. And I yeah. saw how they acted, and I saw several uh, Walkins reaction because you can only see one at the whatever he did at the end. But that was like fifteen different takes when he was wow. just like doing this and doing that, and then he started dancing, and then he was talking to all of us and saying, "Did you see what you did?" And that was a fascinating class, you know. Like, and I'm standing there, wow, I love like being here <laughs> <laughs> well what was it what was uh that's interesting and then they brought their whole cast back and they kind of like skipped the part and then we were like okay but only a few of us knew all the way long and i was like even like i didn't tell my wife and i said i can spoil to you what's going to happen but i'm not <laughs> so okay so then this is interesting because you got to see uh, Joaquin act mm-hmm. a bunch of different times, which is, and and so then there's a bunch of rumors around the internet for a while that he's like a method actor and that he's difficult. What was he like on set? What did you see dude, him doing on dude, set? Dude, he was very friendly because I was uh, like pretty close to him, and he was literally very nice. And the Todd and him was like talking and joking. And um, one thing I remember, Joaquin was constantly smoking, and the smoking not for sake of smoking, but smoking as like just. He would like light a cigarette as soon as he has like a five seconds break and he would smoke it to be like in a little dance. So that's definitely for me a sign of a meta acting because he is in that kind of constantly keep that character inside of him. And then when they're like, okay, so let's do, he would shoot it and then he would take another cigarette and then again start almost like a hold that character is that cigarette, you know, like that's my interpretation. I would have to analyze it. He was like smoking a lot. I don't know. Maybe that he was smoking also for uh, to lose weight. Who knows? Maybe that's the part because he lost a lot of weight. Oh my god! Yeah, which yeah. is such a. I mean, the the way that actors beat up their bodies, especially like him or Christian Bale. It's just Ooh, like, duh. Oh you god. must be like just cutting light like years off your life at that point with that with yeah. the way that they they totally. do that. Um, lucky I have another a- another story with the movie that is coming out, The Irishman. Oh, were you on that too? I'm on it. I don't know if I'm going to have a screen time, but imagine this: I have a like, I have a camera, big camera, right? So I'm recording on the camera. Uh, Al Pacino, who's <laughs> looking at my camera, and he's standing like probably uh, two feet away, or maybe like one feet away. 
and he's uh-huh. giving and he's giving a speech and I'm that close and I'm like thinking in my head oh my fucking god it's the best acting school ever I'm standing in the set I'm that close to the one of the best actor who is acting he's not like giving a you know acting class he's in the movie and I that, that I'm that close to see I even learned one thing uh, from him how he did it I was like I'm gonna do the same thing he, <laughs> his lines were like uh I don't remember exactly, but for instance, he he said this and um, he did this and this and this. And right before that, he would say, listen, guys, I need to tell you something. He did this and this and this. And that little adjustment when he said, listen, mm-hmm. guys, I want to tell you something because you can cut it, right? If, like, or keep it if you need it. Sure. But that gives, as an, as an actor, that gives me that that platform, that jump to deliver those lines with a proper, you know. So what, so what you're saying is that he essentially was imp- improving an intro for it. Exactly. So he was just revving up to that point where the line was delivered. Yeah. Which, yeah. which, is, which is probably because he doesn't like the, the hard cut in when you're trying to like, like if your line is like, I went to the store, it's like, I went to the store. It's like he's revving up for that I went mm-hmm. as opposed to like, listen, guys, I went to the store. So then he can put that abruptness on listen guys as opposed to and he used the the act acting tools which is uh, it's doing so before that listen guys i want to tell you something that's an action just say it out loud but because he was was he's doing was like convince us or share his uh his knowledge or like declare certain things so he said listen guys i have to something i have something to tell you and boom you're already in that that action i, I started right. using it it's pretty fascinating oh that's fascinating so so then you were cast as what an extra who was playing a cameraman that was filming his character correct yeah that yeah was- yeah 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 it's kind of like those things uh ah another movie i was in oh my god i, I, I ended up being like a background actor <laughs> <laughs> well but that's 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 the truth sometimes so you do that because of this kind of thing. I remember in the movie uh, Bridges of Spies. It was Bridges oh, Spies. fucking Spielberg's movie. Spielberg's movie. Yeah, dude. Jesus I'm Christ. I'm standing there. They gave me a camera. I'm a cameraman. I don't know why. I, I guess I look like a cameraman. And there is another <laughs> dude who's supposed to uh, be a reporter. So he's standing there, and uh, so Spielberg there. His father is there. I, I didn't know that his father is on the set, but his father is on the set very often. Wow. So Tom Hanks there, um, Mark Rylands, uh, I think that's his name, was there as well. And uh, so I'm standing there, and you know, every time I have that little part like this, even if I'm a background, I'm diving in. I'm getting myself like the opportunity to act. So I have a little cigarette, and I'm like standing. And before takes, right? I'm just like being with my camera adjusting looking so it works properly i'm living in that imaginary circumstances right so and the guy who, who was standing and he was a microphone like a reporter he was looking at me he's like dude why are you doing that and i was like what he's like why are you acting and i was like dude i love it like <laughs> dude i can't stop i have the costume i'm like in this environment i, I want to do that and he's like okay but next thing the guy comes to me with the ruler measured my face and my camera and uh the camera they're shooting and i'm like oh. what are the fuck they're doing so you know what that means they're focusing on me probably <laughs> 
And I was like, huh. Right. Because I probably right. was like being in that moment. They they shot it because like, oh, this dude is kind of like living in the moment. So why not? So basically, the assistant, the assistant camera came over and measured focus too. Exactly, exactly, and that's how that's how you figured out that they were going to be filming you. Yeah, that's it was funny. like, huh, interesting. They're doing something, but <laughs> I, and I'm, I ended up not using that. But for me, that was a good moment, you know, to like, hmm, those little things they help your career in a sense. Well, like, okay, so th- this this is okay. Hold on, this is fascinating because. I don't get to do this as a filmmaker. Like, I don't get to go. I, I guess I can go sign myself up to be background actor if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, what was it like watching Spielberg direct? Well, it's a good question. I was, he's, I wasn't never that close to him, but he seems like very focused and very friendly. He, I remember he came over us and he talked to us. The same thing as Scorsese. They're very, they're like on your side. They've been doing that for so long and there is a reason why it's good because they love that and you can feel it. It's like pouring out of their pore. They're like, just mm-hmm. guys, we're shooting this little thing and you see that they're like kids, but professionally doing that, of course. So that was that's the one thing. I never talked to him, of course, but whatever sure. interaction I have or I observe, it was always focused, Easy going, and I I would like to point it out that that set on twelve kilometers that reminded me that because you have that personality when you're in the set and being an actor on your set, it creates the feeling of like a teamwork. It's like it's just oh my god! I just saw a huge hawk trying to capture a, a squirrel. Jesus. <laughs> I love the way that you're comparing me to Spielberg. No, but and dude, then you're it's... just like, and then you're like, "There's a huge hawk outside trying to kill a squirrel." <laughs> I was in the process of going to say to you, "Don't, don't compare me. Don't compare me." No, to but the, I like, yeah, it's just I don't have <laughs> that much experience in a, in a big set, but twelve kilometers was definitely a big set, and I love that that feeling. You create this kind of like atmosphere where as an actor, you want to be. When we stopped shooting and I was going home because I had to drive from Boston to New York, Mm -hmm. I was going back and I was like, oh my God, that was a fascinating experience in my life. I would like to keep working with that dude because it was, was, you feel like a part of a family. You have that that energy. It's funny you say that because then when I finished working with you, I was like, that fucking guy, I never want to work with him again. He is just... (laughs) Horrible to be around. He's uh, just oh, he's such an egomaniac. Yeah, totally. And I was just like, I am never ever going to talk to that guy ever again. Yes, <laughs> yes. And then we did that amazing Leica commercial, hmm. which was so funny because uh, you know commercials, as you were witness part of working on that ad, commercial world is so much different than doing the movie shit. And they were trying to cast. They were trying to cast uh, someone for the piece, and the Leica guys are European. I think they're mm-hmm. German. I think it's German. Um, they're European, and so when they were going through the casting process, they wanted to find a skinny dude that looks like he could be an architect, and, and uh, we were dealing with this casting company, and we were getting a bunch of like American things, and I knew, I knew that you'd get the gig because... These guys are European. You're, you look European. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let's do it. And I remember 
One of the uh, we were joking about it on set. One of the uh, that was the thing that you said. Well, listen, uh, they're gonna come and they're gonna they're gonna interact. Like they try to like you know stop and influence the process. And uh, I, I remember you saying that, but they never did. And I remember when one of the guy talked to you or came to you and he said, "Why don't you like help him or something like that?" You, you said. Do you remember that, or like, is that in my in my mind now? Uh, what what? There was, there was some, something like uh, he the guy asked like you need to influ- like uh, work with him more, and you said, well, he's doing the job. You can let's trust. Oh trust yeah, 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 yeah. Because typically, what happens on on uh, sets like that is that they like to micromanage. So they like to come in and just say like, uh, don't sit down and drink your coffee like that. Sit down. And then they physically do it. And they're like, sit down like this. And I know as an actor, that's so fucking frustrating. Because yeah, at that yeah. point, you're just, you're just re, you're recreating what that, that dude who isn't a fucking actor mm-hmm. just did. And so uh, sometimes when you're dealing with inexperienced creatives on sets like that, they think that micromanaging is a way to prove that that's how you're worth the money, the salary that they're paying you. Uh, and I, I think someone came to me and said something similar to that. And I was like, just let him do his fucking job. Like, let him do it. Because at the end of the day, we're going to cut it so we can edit the best stuff in and out. And I don't know how to tell him to do it. And if I did know how to do it, I would do it. Yeah. Like, I would literally be on screen. So, uh, what my philosophy, I learned this after doing music videos. What my philosophy is when I'm working with talent, if I cast you, it's because we've gone through the casting process and I like what you have in your toolbox. I like what you go to, what your go-tos are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like when you, mm-hmm. when you can't figure it out or if you're sort of floundering around, like your rhythms, I like. And a lot of actors have really shitty go-tos you know what i mean you see it on like tv shows i've talked about this before you see it on tv shows where like the actor's like can you give me a pair of glasses and then it's like they have to have a dramatic moment and they just like move their glasses and Mm -hmm, you're just like mm -hmm. that's your fucking toolbox huh that's your trick every fucking thing i've seen and you see it with a lot of really great actors like i don't want to call anybody out but you see with a lot of tv actors where you're just like and there it is and then it becomes their calling card and their statement all that stuff um, but good, great actors, like really talented actors, uh, have uh, invisible little tricks that they use. Or they have tricks that are very natural and very in the moment and tricks that are useful. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you're doing something, if you're hamming it up, if you're doing something really cheesy, I can't fucking use it. I yeah, can't use yeah. any of that in the cut. But if, you're, if your natural instincts to fill a space are interesting to look at then I may use those as a reaction shot. Like I may cut to those as a response to what someone says. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I cast you, and that's what I try to do in the casting process is challenge the person. They come in, they, they deliver, they do their homework, they, de- they deliver their lines. It's like, okay, that's great. Even if I like what they did, I'll still come back and change it and go, mm-hmm. what if it's like this? Just to see how they respond to the change and then just to see uh, what is in their toolbox. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because then when you get cast and then you get on set, I know that you have the goods to do it 
And I want you to surprise me with your performance. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. My role there is the, is the audience. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. Um, and so when you're dealing with creatives, and when I say creatives, I usually mean like agency people and clients. When you're dealing with them, their main goal is like, you need to sell these products. And if you're an agency creative, it's you need to tell the story that we sold this client. Mm -hmm. And when they go through that process of putting those things together, it's such a, uh, a rigorous, torturous process for those creatives. And I give them all the credit because they have to somehow convince an asshole that has a warehouse full of shit that uh, isn't going to sell itself. So he has to, or she has to spend fucking millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars to make a commercial to yeah. convince you that what they're selling won't give you cancer or, you know, like won't give you high cholesterol. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's this process of meeting with storytellers because the ultimate way to tell a lie is to tell a story. And then these guys go through the process of creating this story and they're micromanaging every aspect of that. Like this shot means this and this like audiences respond to this. And if you want to get the, if you want to get on the good side of this demographic, then you should be doing this. And so then that micromanaging doesn't translate well to acting. And I think that's essentially why these people need to hire directors. They're not hiring me to come in to tell a story. They're hiring me to come in to get truthful, honest performances out of you mm -hmm. that they then can use to lie totally. about what the product is. And, totally. and so that was that situation that we found ourselves in where that micromanaging comes my way. And that's my job on set as a director is to try to keep that from you. So it's a, I mean, we're friends, so it, it doesn't really matter, but I would rather you don't hear that as an actor. I'd yeah, rather yeah. that happens off screen because then you start to you start to think about that. And you mm -hmm. start to have doubts in your performance and you start to have doubts in the people that are there, you know? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, totally, totally. No, no, no. I, well, I think it, it was it was great experience anyway. And at the end, I really like that whatever you did. We kept we kept calling you wolf eyes. I think it's what it was. It's that you had those piercing blue wolf eyes. Oh. And I think that's I think that's how I sold you to the clients. I was like, look at his eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because like I have to be architect. I actually have a uh, degree in the. I'm, I'm, I have an engineering degree in a coal mining. Uh, so there is some <laughs> intelligence behind those eyes. You know, I said this to Gene, and I feel the same way about you. I wish you guys got parts on fucking Chernobyl. That was a spot you both should have been on. That was a perfect. I was so mad at my agent that she didn't submit me for those parts. But then she said oh, that it was a. Uh, it was mostly cast in. Uh, I think it was uh, London, not London, but I mean UK. I think that's oh, yeah, what it yeah. was. Yeah, because that that show was so good. That so reminded good. me a lot. It reminded me a lot of what we were doing in Twelve K. Exactly. I even said it like, dude, that that could be twelve kilometers easily. Mike can yeah. could easily do that. It was yeah. just. So good. Oh, dude, I'm waiting for a callback for a blacklist right now. Do you know that show? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's still on TV? That's, That's still, still in TV. That's the actor's world. I've been going to that office for that specific show for probably like two and a half years. Oh, my God. Those guys already know me. They like, I'm coming and they're like, Pavel, come back. And I'm like, yep. And the last time I went, it was a pretty big part. Definitely good money because it's TV. 
he's my yeah. that's how you survive yeah. as an actor and uh but i went in it was pretty it was crazy because they gave me a scene which is like a two pages but i had to read six pages of information mm-hmm. and everything and they were like okay. can you come uh tomorrow at 11 a.m and they gave me <laughs> like around 6 p.m and i was like jesus fuck sure i'll try so luckily my wife she's a brilliant coach acting coacher so she coached me she helped me out and i prepared and the next morning i woke up i felt like shit to be honest i felt like oh my god i don't know what i'm doing I don't, you know all those insecurities but then as soon as i stepped inside and they're like okay so let's roll it that's that's exactly it. i did my homework and then i ended up being in the moment delivering what they wanted and they're like brilliant i love that let's do it again i did it again they're like hmm we love it and now i'm sitting and waiting for the freaking callback oh my god oh my god that's gonna be the worst oh my I mean, god that's like that's that's the life of an actor you're constantly waiting and then you got rejection and then you're like well well next time well, yeah, and then you got to remember too is that rejection isn't necessarily because you suck. That rejection is sometimes because, oh well, we wanted a guy with brown eyes and not blue oh, eyes. Totally, you totally. know what I mean? And then you, there's nothing you can fucking do about that. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. That, the only thing you can do ask your agent to ask, did I do a good job? And then sometimes they will be able to ask and say, well, yeah. But usually your agent or manager would know when you start playing this kind of like a co-star or guest star they would influence and kind of go back and like well take me with these classes or like it was good they liked you i remember how my agent was saying like they liked you they just they just need the, the perfect part for you they're like they are on your side and i was like oh that sounds good thank you for saying that every time well, that's we- good i mean that's that's very true though because if they do like you they're just looking for the right part because once you once you have a part in that show, then you're fucked. Yeah, then, yeah. That's, unless, then done. yeah, unless they bring it back all of a sudden. But right, that's but most, of, most of the time, if you're a Russian, they're probably just going to shoot you in the head and then you're yeah, going to be done. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they like that. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we're in it like an hour and a half, so I think this is a good point uh, to end the show, but. As I do on the show, this is a good time for the guest to uh, bestow some wisdom. And uh, I assume that a bunch of people listening to the show are actors um, or want to be actors. What would you, what advice would you give somebody that wants to, that wants to be a background talent like, oh my god wait a minute i don't want to be i don't want to be like a background actor who would like, uh, <laughs> no, no 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 i'm not, I'm not saying that you're a background actor dummy i'm just saying, <laughs> i'm saying that there are some people i'll give you two let's start with this question so okay. what advice would you give <laughs> such an actor what <laughs> i don't want to <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give uh, people that want to become a background actor? Well, if you want to be a background actor, then do it. There are so many options. If you live in New York City, especially, or L.A. or anywhere, just do it. Just just know that you have to commit it. You have to be very organized and you have to be a good team player. 
because yeah. you are part of a movie. They use you not just kind of like a just a backdrop where you're just standing. You are in the movie. Every single move you do, so don't check your phone when they're shooting and you're like, well, I'm not in the background somewhere far. No, it's going to be visible. So be professional, commit to it, and be proud that you are in the movie. And one day, maybe you will become a like a co-star actor or like a lead actor someday if you find the joy. So that would be my advice to the people who wants to be a background actor. Okay. And then second part question um, would be if... Because we all, you have doubt. We all have doubt, right? Mm-hmm. So whenever we decide that we want to tackle something, or if there's a if there's a dream that's within our subconscious, we all tell we tell ourselves initially, like, mm, "You're not going to be good enough. You're not really going to make this." And this, the amazing story that you've told us on the show of you deciding that the the steps that you needed to become an actor was, you know, you had to fucking leave the country, you had to learn another language, you had to go through all this stuff. So. Um, how do you t- how do you tackle insecurity? How do you tackle your fear? And how do you get over that initial fear uh, to make a jump? Uh, yeah, well, I think that as actors or as any human beings, we're all going to have those insecurities, all these fears. Because as soon as you start feeling comfortable, try to get out of that zone because then you become stale and it's not interesting. Mm. Yeah. to watch so try always so as a part of it you're always going to be under this pressure under being insecure and everything because that's the part of our human psychic that's who we are and it's good use that just do a bunch of homework so when that happens so you don't paralyze but you use that energy because the fear is an energy is a very huge energy that we um humans produce the fear is actually a it's just a response for us to to run so it's the same idea if some like predators would attack us so that's mm-hmm. the whole point so use that energy just learn how to translate it into the performing things so it's a little harder if you're playing some kind of like a calm guy in the scene and you're super nervous but it's still there. There is a possibility to maybe take that little piece of paper and hold it in your hand, and that's like a little trick that one can use. That's where you put all your insecurity inside that little paper you're holding in your hand. Oh, but, fascinating! So, so you're like transferring the energy to an object. Yeah, because you need to have energy. You cannot become the energy is vital in the movie screen. It will be translated, but it will create that kind of Exactly, it will be in your eyes. It will be pouring out of your body, but it wouldn't be necessarily destructing. You know what I mean? If you have to sit there and just watch somebody, uh, right? You know, then you can manage that. But I would say, use it. Don't be afraid of it. It's the part of the thing. But just never give up. Don't don't be afraid and. I always thought this, oh, one day when I'll be big actor, all those things will disappear. No, they always <laughs> be there because it is a part of your job. So learn how to deal with it and how to live with it because that's what it is. 
So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, I didn't realize, uh, starting this conversation, that Pavel was on the set of Joker and was on the, the set of Bridges Spies. Uh, I love that about this podcast, is that it is so loose that we end up going down roads that I had no idea that we were going to end up. And, uh, you know, Pavel is an amazing actor, and he's a fantastic collaborator. And it's just really nice to talk to somebody who understands the value of each and every moment that he gets on set. Um, and his advice to you, if you want to get into acting and you want to, or become a back, background talent, become a background actor, uh, is really invaluable. Uh, and I think it's important to remember, no matter what it is you decide to do, whether or not it is you want to be a PA, whether or not you want to be a DP, it really is about understanding the larger picture of the project that you decide to be involved with and how you fit into it. Because these things are just giant puzzles, man. And all these pieces come together to make something really cool. Uh, so I really appreciate uh, Pavel sharing his stories. And I hope uh, that you guys find a little bit of courage in what he talked about to chase that dream that has been scaring the shit out of you. Uh, and as always, I appreciate the support. Uh, please follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or follow the podcast at In Love With The Process POD on Instagram. And uh, if you're listening to this show on uh, Apple Podcasts, like I said at the beginning of the show, do it right now. Did you like this episode? Leave me a review. Leave a review on that podcast provider. Whatever you're listening to, wherever you're listening to it on, in the description somewhere, you can leave a review. Right now, while I'm talking to you, Click that little thing on your phone. Look through it. Check on there. Let's see. I don't know. I, I can't do it fast enough to do the read. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it on my phone. So I can explain to you how it works. Okay, so if I click Apple Podcasts and I click on my episodes, don't play it, go to the thing, scroll down, episode notes. All right. Um, where do I leave a comment? There's a place to leave comments on here. <laughs> Find it. Find a way for me to leave a comment. I'll uh, try to leave a, a description below the episode on exactly where to click. But please, review the show. Uh, it's important. And they, they take notice. The people that run algorithms take notice of whether or not people are, are interacting with the content. And I need that. Um... So yeah, I appreciate you guys listening to the show. I hope you guys are enjoying season two. Um, a lot more episodes on the way. Thanks for listening. Okay, it's uh, Alex Review Time. Um, this is a movie that I, it's not new, it came out in like 2016. I watched it a while back. I've seen it a couple times. It was called um, A Dark Song, and it's like an Irish-English flick. Um, basically it's like a, it's like a jar movie, you know, like the, it all takes place in like a house <clears throat> and, uh, uh, in short, it's about a lady paying this fat British dude who's like a Coptic Christian priest to like fucking do a bunch of occult stuff so that she can commune with the dead. Um, but, uh, it's good. It's, uh, it's gross. And um, the dude like he like jacks off in it. So that's gross. 
He's got kind of like a Louis C.K. vibe to him, too, like a British Louis C.K. So if you ever wondered what that was like, you know, um, watch A Dark Song. It's, uh, I give it uh, four stars out of, uh, I guess, four. Cool. Later, bud. Later, bud.